This is day 15 of our daily Bible reading plan. And today we will be reading Exodus chapter 21 through 25 today. Lord Heavenly Father, please quiet our hearts and our minds so that we can receive your word fully and not be distracted at this time. Please show us the truth that's in your word and that we may be affected by it and be drawn closer to you. Please conform us into the image of your Son today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now these are the ordinances which are to be set before them. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years. But on the seventh, he shall go out as a free man without payment. If he comes alone, he shall go out alone. If he is the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife, and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall belong to her master, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man, then his master shall bring him to God, then he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently. If a man sells his daughter as a female slave, she is not to go free as the male slaves do. If she is displeasing in the eyes of her master, who designated her for her himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He does not have authority to sell her to a foreign people because of his unfairness to her. If he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. If he takes to himself another woman, he may not reduce her food, her clothing, or her conjugal rights. If he will not do these three things for her, then she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint you a place to which he may flee. If, however, a man acts presumptuously toward his neighbor, as so as to kill him craftily, you are to take him even from my altar, that he may die. He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or he is found in his possession, shall surely be put to death. He who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. If men have a quarrel, and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and he does not die but remains in bed, if he gets up and walks around outside on his staff, then he who struck him shall go unpunished. He shall only pay for his loss of time and he shall take care of him until he is completely healed. If a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod, and he dies at his hand, he shall be punished. 
If, however, he survives a day or two, no vengeance shall be taken, for he is his property. If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. But if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female slave and destroys it, he shall let him go free on account of his eye. If he knocks out a tooth of his male or female slave, he shall let him go free on account of his tooth. If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall go unpunished. If, however, an ox was previously in the habit of goring and its owner has been warned, yet he has not confined it, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. If a ransom is decided of him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is demanded of him. Whether it gores a son or a daughter, it shall be done to him according to the same rule. If the ox gores a male or female slave, the owner shall give to his or her master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. If a man opens a pit, or digs a pit, and does not cover it over, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restitution. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead animal shall become his. If one man's ox hurts another's, so that it dies. Then they shall sell the live ox and divide its price equally, and also they shall divide the dead ox. Or if it is known that the ox was previously in the habit of goring, yet its owner has not confined it, he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead animal shall become his. If a man steals an ox or a sheep, and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. If the thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there will be no blood guiltiness on his account. But if the sun has risen on him, there will be blood guiltiness on his account. He shall surely make restitution if he owns nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If what he stole is actually found alive in his possession, whether an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man lets a field or vineyard be grazed bare, and lets an animal loose so that it grazes in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. 
if a fire breaks out and spreads to thorn bushes so that stacked grains or the standing grain or the field itself is consumed, he who started the fire shall surely make restitution. If a man gives his neighbor money or goods to keep for him, and it is stolen from the man's house, if the thief is caught, he shall pay double. If the thief is not caught, then the owner of the house shall appear before the judges to determine whether he laid his hands on his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for ox, for donkey, for sheep, for clothing, or for any lost thing about which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before the judges. He whom the judge condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any animal to keep for him, and it dies, or is hurt, or is driven away while no one is looking, an oath before the Lord shall be made by the two of them, that he has not laid hands on his neighbor's property, and its owner shall accept it, and he shall not make restitution. But if it actually was stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is all torn to pieces, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn to pieces. If a man borrows anything from his neighbor, and it is injured or dies, while its owner is not with it, he shall make full restitution. If its owner is with it, he shall not make restitution. If it is hired, it came for its hire. If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged and lies with her, he must pay a dowry to her to be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the dowry of virgins. You shall not allow a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. He who sacrifices to any god other than to the Lord alone shall be utterly destroyed. You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan, if you afflict him at all, and if he does cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry, and my anger will be kindled, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not charge him interest. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, you are to return it to him before the sun sets, for that is his only covering. It is his cloak for his body. What else shall he sleep in? And if it shall come about that when he cries out to me, I will hear him, for I am gracious. 
You shall not curse God, nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay the offering from your harvest or your vintage. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. You shall be holy men to me. Therefore you shall not eat any flesh torn to pieces in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. You shall not bear a false report. Do not join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not follow the masses in doing evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his dispute. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your needy brother in his dispute. Keep far from a false charge, and do not kill the innocent or the righteous, for I will not acquit the guilty. You shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just. You shall not oppress a stranger, since you yourselves know the feelings of a stranger, for you also were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall sow your land for six years and gather in its yield, but on the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, so that the needy of your people may eat, and whatever they leave the beast of the field may eat. You are to do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days you are to do your work, but on the seventh day you shall cease from labor, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female slave, as well as your stranger, may refresh themselves. Now concerning everything which I have said to you, be on your guard. And do not mention the name of other gods, nor let them be heard from your mouth. Three times a year you shall celebrate a feast to me. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread, as I commanded you, at the appointed time in the month Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Also you shall observe the feast of the harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, from what you sow in the field. Also the feast of the ingathering, at the end of the year, when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, 
nor is the fat of my feast to remain overnight until morning. You shall bring the choice first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. You are not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. Behold, I am going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Be on your guard before him and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious toward him, for he will not pardon your transgression, since my name is in him. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you in to the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will completely destroy them. You shall not worship their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their deeds, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their sacred pillars in pieces. But you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will remove sickness from your midst. There shall be no one miscarrying or barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror ahead of you, and throw into confusion all the people among whom you come, and I will make all your enemies from their back turn their backs on you. I will send hornets ahead of you, so that they will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites before you. I will not drive them out before you in a single year, that the land may not become desolate, and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. I will fix your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, and from the wilderness to the river Euphrates. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you will drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them or with their gods. They shall not live in your land, because they will make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all of the words of the Lord, and all the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice, and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning, 
and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people, and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel, and they saw God, and they ate and drank. Now the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain, and remain there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with Joshua, his servant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. But to the elders he said, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him approach them. Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountain top. Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me from every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. This is the contribution which you are to raise from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet material, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, porpoise skins, acacia wood, oil for lighting, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense onyx stones, and setting stones for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. Let them construct a sanctuary for me, that I may dwell with among them. According to all that I am going to show you, as the tabernacle pattern and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. They shall construct an ark, 
of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, and one and a half cubits wide, and one and a half cubits high. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out you shall overlay it, and you shall make a gold molding around it. You shall cast four gold rings on it, and fasten them on its four feet. And two rings shall be on one side of it, and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the side of the ark, to carry the ark with them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be removed from it. You shall put into the ark the testimony which I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. You shall make two cherubim of gold. Make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. The cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another. The faces of the cherubim are to be turned toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give to you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. You shall make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long and one cubit wide and one and a half cubits high. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a gold border around it. You shall make for it a rim of a handbreadth around it, and you shall make a gold border for the rim around it. You shall make four rings of gold for it and put rings on the four corners which are on its four feet. The rings shall be close to the rim as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlie them with gold, so that with them the table may be carried. You shall make its dishes and its pans and its jars and its bowls with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold. You shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me at all times. Then you shall make a lampstand of pure gold, the lampstand and its base, and its shaft are to be made of hammered work. Its cups, its bulbs, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. Six branches shall go out from its sides, three branches of the lampstand from its one side, and three branches of the lampstand from its other side. Three cups shall be shaped like almond blossoms in the one branch, a bulb and a flower, 
and three cups shaped like almond blossoms in the other branch, a bulb and a flower. So for six branches going out from the lampstand. And in the lampstand, four cups shaped like almond blossoms, its bulbs and its flowers. A bulb shall be under the first pair of branches coming out of it, and a bulb under the second pair of branches coming out of it, and a bulb under the third pair of branches coming out of it, for the six branches coming out of the lampstand. Their bulbs and their branches shall be of one piece with it. All of it shall be one piece of hammered work of pure gold. Then you shall make its lamps seven in number, and they shall mount its lamps so as to shed light on the space in front of it. Its snuffers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made from a talent of pure gold with all these utensils. See that you make them after the pattern for them, which was shown to you on the mountain. So we have entered the area of the Bible that, quite honestly, I think, if we're being truly honest with ourselves, most people like to skip this part. I caution you against that train of thought, because what is being stated here is extremely important for us as believers. And just as rational human beings, we need to know what God's standards are. Not only that, but if you read the things that are being enforced here in the laws, would you not agree that in this time period, many of these things are perverted or not enforced at all? This is God's standard for justice and for fairness. And it has not changed. Just because Jesus Christ has come and abolished the law in some ways doesn't mean that all of this was pointless. If we believe that God is good and everything that God makes and does is good, we need to remember also that the law was made by God as well, and it was not a means to judge us. If we read in Romans chapter 3, it says that the law was made for a purpose. It was made for us to understand what sin was, what God's standards are, in order to be obedient to him and to worship him in the manner that he wants to be worshipped. So these things that we're reading in uh, these five chapters are very important. And especially some of the ones that I'm going to point out are certainly things that have been lost to us in many ways, or rather should be enforced in today's world, because just in the manner that we have perverted justice so much in this generation that it, it, it bears noting here. Would it be fair to say that God is for the death penalty? Yes, it is. I mean, you see here in chapter 21, beginning in verse 12, that you hit somebody, you, you strike somebody with the purpose of killing them, then you are put to death. But even more than that, look at what how, how serious he takes these things as 
you know, in the parent-child dynamic as well. If you strike your parents, you're put to death. Or even if you curse them, you're put to death. I mean, that's there's no mistaking that God made honor your mother and your father as one of the Ten Commandments, one of the greatest of the commandments. Because it, if we can't respect our own parents, our own family members, then how are we going to be obedient to anybody else? How are we going to show respect for anybody else? Now, granted, I say this completely being aware that I have not grown up in a household with parents that are not deserving of respect. I know there are some people that have really bad parents. I know that. But there is no condition on his promise and on his commands. Do you see that? It doesn't say, if your parents do this, then you honor your mother and father. No, it doesn't say that. It says you honor your mother and your father. It doesn't mean you're okay with the evil or sinful things they may be doing. But you are still supposed to honor them in the name of the Lord. As much as does not conflict with God's word. If, they're, if your parents are telling you to do something evil, obviously you don't do it. Honor, you would honor them, say, I want to honor you, but the Lord does not want me to do this. Therefore, I will not do it. I'm sorry. Regardless of the consequences of that, that is what we're told to do. And I love this as well in verse 22. If a man struggle, if men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child, that she gives birth prematurely, if there's no injury, she should be, she should be fined. But if there is any further injury, eye for an eye, life for a life, that child that is in the mother's womb, we all know it listening to this, we all know that that child in the womb is a human being from conception. And that is a human life. So this whole idea of abortion and my body, my choice, is completely perverted. I'm sorry. There is no nice way to say it. And those who kill an unborn child are worthy of death themselves. And this is God's standards, not mine. I follow God's standards. But he's the one who set this up, not me. I will be obedient to it, though. So then it talks about animals. If the animal hurts people, obviously don't be negligent. If you have, for example, in today's world, how we don't have ox, oxen, you know, sitting in our front yard, but we got things like dogs, right? So if your dog is known for biting people and you don't do anything about it, then you are guilty. In the, in the eyes of the law, but if the dog has never hurt anyone before, there's a different way of handling it. So just we have responsibility to own up to the animals that we have in our homes. The Lord does not like theft. He has a bunch of laws concerning theft and property damage. And there's a big section about dishonesty. And we know that the Lord repeatedly throughout the Bible, we're going to see it quite a bit, especially in the Proverbs, God hates liars. He considers lying an abomination to him. 
And we, as human beings, bear the image of God. And there should be no falsehood in us. We should not be known for being a liar. Then our credibility means nothing if we cannot be honest. Then we see that Moses and his entourage uh, see the glory of the Lord. Now, let's be clear about this. There's other places in the Bible that say no one has seen God at any time. And yet it says clearly right here that they saw God. So which is it? Did they see God or not? Um, they did to some degree, but not his only what he allowed them to see. Okay, it's not that he saw, remember, God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body. And so he demonstrated a small, very minor sliver of his, of who he is to the people of Israel. But he did not show his full glory to them. Now, I wanted, before we go into the building of the Ark of the Covenant, I did want to go through a couple more laws that I think are extremely important in today's world that we definitely need to be paying attention to in this day and age. For example, you shall not allow a sorceress to live. Magic. So we know that there are groups in the world today that practice magic. You know, Ouija boards, Wicca, you know, satanic rituals. We know those things are not of God. Anything that is not of God is, therefore, what? It's from Satan. And we do not want to be using satanic, demonic power for anything. It should not be numbered among us at all. So if you know of anybody doing those things, you need to stay away from them. And because what they are doing is worthy of death. Here's another one. Well, it's my body, my choice, sexuality, sexual freedom is a thing right now. Is it really? Whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. Bestiality. We know bestiality is a sin. And right now the world agrees with that for the most part. But for how long? There used to be a time where homosexuality was not okay. There used to be a time where being a pedophile was not okay, but you see that being trying to be included into the LGBT umbrella as being a minor attracted person, saying now that it's okay. Child pornography being a reasonable argument against things like gun laws, and I'm just telling you what's going on in the world today and how ridiculous it is. But these things are a sin, they have always been a sin, and the world has convinced itself that it's not. And that is depravity at its lowest point. My biggest fear is that you see history repeat itself the same way throughout the last 6,000 years from the very beginning. Why did God wipe out the earth in the time of Noah? Because it says that their hearts were only thinking of evil continually. Why were the people of Israel being conquered all the time in the book of Judges? It says that they did what was right in their eyes. 
Not in God's eyes, but what was right in their eyes. Why were all these times in the Bible that Israel was conquered by someone in exiled into Babylon, by Assyria? Why? Because they abandoned the Lord, their God. And this is the covenant that they're making here. He literally charged them with these laws. Moses went to the people of Israel, and what was their response? They said, uh, chapter 24, All the words which the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. You're making a promise with the Lord God. And we know God is faithful. We know God always keeps his promises. But we have failed him as a people. The Israelites had failed him as a people. Therefore, if they're going to break his covenant, he can do as he pleases with us. So we certainly want to be obedient to what the Lord has for us. Now here's some more laws that we surely should make him a priority in today's world. Verse 28 of chapter 22, You shall not curse God, nor curse a ruler of your people. Why? So obviously, it was one of the Ten Commandments. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. There's so many times in this world people are using Lord's name so flippantly. It's OMG, you know, using the name of Jesus. Like, it's a proper response when something goes wrong instead of saying, oh man, people are saying, Jesus Christ. Why would you use that name, that the, the name above all names, in such a casual way? There is a special consequence for that. I believe that. Or cursing the name of the Lord, damning his name. No, you should not do that. Never should that come out of our mouths by any means. And the other reason here, it says that we should not curse a ruler of our people. Well, we have some corrupt rulers in the world, but why shouldn't we curse them? Well, it does say elsewhere in the Bible that all authority figures are established by God. God put leaders into place. So if we don't like the leaders and we're not going to obey them, we're defying God because God put him there, right? So we're we're telling God that he made a mistake. Now, sometimes that's hard to understand or explain, especially if you ask questions like, so you're telling me that Stalin was put in power by God? Yes. You're saying um, Castro was put in by God? Yes. You're saying Hitler? was put into power by God? Yes. But those men were evil. Yes, they were. But they served a purpose. We may not understand the purpose, and we don't have to. Because if we trust that God is all good, and everything he does is right, then the result shouldn't matter, because it's bigger than what we know it to be. It is terrible what those people did, no doubt. And we should never forget it. But God did it for a reason. And we cannot doubt him 
in these things. Sometimes it's an investment. Sometimes bad things have to happen in order for something greater to be done. We have to just trust him in this. And that's where faith becomes a pivotal part of a relationship. God doesn't have to prove himself to us because he's God, right? We are the creatures. He is the creator. We just have to obey him. Can we do that? We should. We absolutely should. A couple more that are worth noting on here. We know that our justice system is flawed in many ways. And we should not be known for being false witnesses, for being false reports. Just like it says here, you shall not follow the masses in doing evil. This is normal. The way that the masses, the majority, will be evil. That has never changed. This was written thousands of years ago. And right now, the majority of the people are evil. Because the majority of the world does not know Christ. This is not anything new. You shall not follow the masses in doing evil. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 23. Nor shall you testify in a dispute in order to pervert justice. Nor should you be partial to a poor man in his dispute. You know, well, the rich, tax the rich, and down with rich people, you know. Sometimes the the rich people are the ones that are perverting, perverting justice, but sometimes it's not. We just have to take it case by case, individual by individual. Not for what they have, but who they are, and the case at hand. You shall not take bribes. That's important. We should never take bribes. Do not oppress strangers, since you yourself know the feelings of a stranger. And then you have, which I think is very interesting, something we have not done, at least in my lifetime, is beginning in chapter 23, verse 10, how it says that we should sow the land for six years, and then on the seventh year, let it rest. Very interesting that we we don't do that anymore, but we really should. And I'm sure it happens for a reason. Not only would I think that it depletes the nutrients in the soil by continually working the soil, but also it's an obedience to God's command. Because what it says here is, if you are faithful in doing that for six years, you will have enough food for a whole nother year. And let it be for the people who need food. Wouldn't that in some way solve world hunger? Wouldn't it? I would assume so, because this is why God said it. And also, just like it said, six days you shall do your work, and the seventh day you shall not work. The seventh day, the Sabbath, is important, not only for our hearts in order to focus on the Lord, but also he knows that human beings need rest. He rested on the seventh day, not because creation was so hard that he had to rest. Do you see, do you remember how effortlessly he made the universe? He just spoke and those things came into be. It doesn't cause much effort to speak. I've been speaking to you now for over 40 minutes, maybe even 45 minutes since I started this podcast today. And I'm still going. And it's not that hard. So how hard is it for him to speak everything into existence? You know what I'm saying? But he knows that physically we 
are in need of rest. And he knows that, and that's why he implements these things for our good. And we just have to obey him on these things. A couple more to end the day. Concerning everything which I have told you, verse 13. Be on your guard. Do not mention the name of other gods, nor let them be heard from your mouth. Idolatry. There is only one God. And that is the only God that should be exalted in our life. If you've listened to my testimony, I have exalted other gods in my life. And I think from time to time we all go back and exalt something else above God. And that should not be. Because every time we do, we have made a distinction between God and his creation. And we've chosen the creation over the creator. And that damages our relationship with God. To where he either withdraws himself from our life a little bit, where you don't feel the closeness with him, or you just completely shut the door in his face. Either way, it's wrong. And it's not good for us. It's not obedient to him. And there are consequences that happen with that. Sometimes God is gracious and very little happens. But sometimes he gives us the full effect of our consequences and lets it happen in order for us to learn. And I hope that you're not like me and you learn the hard way. Because I am a stubborn mule of a man sometimes. And then lastly, he promises in uh, near the end of verse 23. Now this specifically is about the conquest of Israel going into the land of Canaan. That he's, if he, they are obedient to God, that he will do these things to be an enemy to their enemies, to be an adversary to their adversaries. He'll completely destroy them. Now, he mentions here that he will completely destroy them. Man, women, children, everything. And they're cautioned to not worship their gods, nor serve them, or do anything according to to their, to their deeds. But you are to utterly overthrow them and break all their sacred pillars. But you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless you. And lastly, he says in verse 32, you shall make no covenant with them or with their gods. It shall not live in your land. And you're going to see why he did that. Why did he say that? Verse 33, they shall not live in your land. Why? Because they will make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare for you. We haven't read the rest of the Bible yet, but little spoiler alert here. They did not obey this at all. And they paid the consequences for it. God intended from the very beginning for him to be their king. And yet, when we get to the book of Samuel, we're going to see that they want a king over them, just like everybody else. That's one of the ways they were tainted. They worshipped their gods. They compromised with these people and allowed some of them to be, make an alliance with them and intermarry with them. And they were led astray by that. The northern kingdom of Israel, when we get to the dividing of the kingdoms, 
the northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. That's what happened to the northern kingdom of Israel. They integrated with a different culture, and they were led astray. Judah eventually did as well, but Israel fell first, and they never came back after that throughout all of human history. And lastly, I want to talk about the uh, building of the Ark of the Covenant. We know that this is something, a very real thing, and this is where the tablets of the Ten Commandments are put, as well as a jar of manna in order to remember what God did for them. And apparently this jar of manna would not spoil, I assume, so that we can see, they could see what manna looked like in those days. But also, um, later on, Aaron is going to put his staff in there. It's going to bud and produce almonds. And then that staff is going to be placed in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, there's speculation and people claiming they have found the Ark of the Covenant in Israel. But um, we don't know that for sure. I, I don't know that for sure, to be clear. There's people that say they found it and they did not disturb it because they know as soon as they touch it, they will die and they don't want to do that. That's why you already see it here in verse, in chapter 25. You see there's a specific way that it's supposed to be built and that there's supposed to be rings attached to it in order to put poles in it and you carry it from the poles. That right there is already going to just remember that piece as we go into later portions of scripture. Because you're going to see something the Philistines do, as well as King David does, that if, you, if we don't know this part going into it, it's not going to make any sense. God has a very specific way of handling his word and his decrees. And even in our ignorance, it's still sin, okay? God's standards are eternal, and they never change. But even if you are not aware that you're doing it, it's still sin. And God's commands cannot be compromised with. So if he compromises and says, well, he didn't know, so I'm going to let it slide, that's problematic. Because then he's not just, not perfectly just. And he changed his mind, you know, and, and God does not change his mind. So just as we go into this, just know that there are certain things that happen for a specific reason. So now, in the next five chapters, just to give you a preview, it's going to be talking about the building of the tabernacle, which is the traveling temple of God in this day and age, as well as the establishment of the high priest. And not only is the high priest given his tasks, but also his clothing, his ephod, which an ephod is basically like a, a sleeveless uh, two-piece garment the high priest is going to wear, as well as a turban. And we'll talk about that being created, as well as something very interesting called the Urim and Thummim, which we'll get to tomorrow. Um talk a little bit about that as much as we know about it since it is a very mysterious thing and then we'll talk about the consecration of the priests and how that is supposed to be handled and then we'll end with what the altar of the lord looks like which we'll handle tomorrow
And until then, I'm Ryan. Thank you for joining me today, and we'll see you tomorrow. Take care, and God bless.